If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, delighted to be back with you again. Um, solo episode today, I thought I would, um, I would talk to you today about something that's, that's been on my mind a lot re- just, just recently, and it sort of stemmed from way back in 2016 at, at the first Vacation Rental Success Summit. I did a session on emergency planning and and it stemmed from a lot of things that had happened within our property management company over the the years since we began. You know, things happen, emergencies happen, and we have found ways to to create procedures and plans to make sure that we have something in place for absolutely anything that should occur. So when I did this um, this session on emergency planning, you know, it wasn't that well attended. I think there were about um, 30 or so people there. I mean, there were other workshops that may have seen as have been seen as a little bit more interesting. I know at the same time as I did my session, Tyan Marsink was was talking about photography. And now that I even to me, that's a more interesting subject than emergency planning. And there was a great session on social media marketing, and I think uh, I think people thought that you know far far more interesting to go and talk about photography and learn how to make uh, create better photographs and how to market the property better with better social media promotion than to think about things like bed bugs and hot tub folliculitis and tornadoes and hurricanes. But, you know, uh, as a property manager and as an independent owner, I, for one, think that making sure that you have your emergency planning down in, in a really solid way with a set of standard operating procedures, that needs to happen before you even start to think about how you use Twitter or Instagram or Facebook ads. Because... The moment you get people coming to your property, as anybody knows who's had a problem or an issue arise, if you don't have a solution in place, if you're not proactive in, in, creating, in creating the solutions before the problems happen, then you really can end up in some really tricky situations. And, you know, it all came to light for me just recently because those, um, you know, if you get my newsletter, if you've, if you've heard me maybe briefly mention things or if you've been on my Facebook page, you'll know that, uh, that my month in Florida didn't quite end in the way we'd expected. We'd, we'd expected to have this wonderful month in the sun, pack up, head home. We we're going to take a, a gentle um, drive home, drop the RV off in Tennessee, and then uh, and then do a scuttle back to Ontario, where we would begin to prepare for the spring. And in fact, we we did most of that. However, it was it was all in a little bit more of a rush than we thought. Um, about 
in, into week three of our vacation, my my husband Phil fell fell sick. He just he just I I thought it was flu. You know, he went to bed for a couple of days, and he wasn't eating anything. And really, you know, if you know Phil, that's probably a good thing. You know, that's a good thing if he probably doesn't eat for a couple of days. Um, on the third day, he he proclaimed that he was feeling better, and he climbs out of out of bed, and I went, "Oh my God, what, what have you done to your leg?" And in his leg, from knee to ankle, was twice the size, and it was red and purple and swollen. Um, and we thought, you know, all sorts of things. You know, being a... Google was my friend, of course. You know, I'm I'm rapidly. Um, Googling all sorts of things, got myself truly worried. Whereas he's saying, you know, I can walk on it. It's perfectly all right. I honestly think we should go home a few days early, though. And he refused to go to a doctor. So the uh, the very short story uh, is that we did drive the three days home with a couple of night stops. And uh, by the time we got back and got him to a hospital, um, the the condition of of his leg was was in very very serious um and uh, and there were some other complications and he ended up 12 days in hospital which which was not the greatest end to our vacation in florida and it looks like it was a you know a tiny tiny bug bite that might have caused the infection um and it's something called cellulitis i'd never actually heard of but i know i understand now it's quite common but it can have some some fairly serious complications, particularly if you did, if you decide not to go and see a doctor and decide to drive the twelve hundred miles home. So, lots of learning in this uh, in this in this story. But what um, what we did learn was was that when something really unexpected like that happens in your life, it throws everything off balance. Um, I, I got into this um, regime of you know driving to the hospital twice a day to um, to visit with him and to you know to make sure he had everything we needed he he needed um, the hospital food was absolutely dire and and once he got out of the special care unit you know he was really on antibiotics and um, and feeling pretty okay they just wouldn't let him out so. In doing that, in spending half my time on the road or at the hospital, I, you know, I, I, I had work commitments that had to be postponed. Um, for those of you I was going to meet up with at the VRMA in Paris, that I had to cancel that trip. Um, but I, what, what I was really happy about was that I had a good backup system to manage my vacation rental. You know, that was something I really didn't want to be thinking about. Uh, you know, I had you know, a lot on my plate at the time, a lot of worries, and I, I just was not interested in doing changeovers or seeing people in and out of the property or even answering inquiries. So I was more than happy that you know, each year we do sit down and do emergency planning, and one of those emergencies that we've talked about in the past is if one of us falls ill and the other is not able to fully attend to the management of our vacation rental property, then what will happen? And we've talked through all the contingencies, all the things that we would, we would need to put in place to, to continue in business if that sort of thing happened. So there was an emergency plan in place that maintained consistency 
for our guests while we were both out of action. They actually never knew the difference. Now, I know, I mean, it was, it was a March. It was, not, it was not a busy time of the year. We only had two or three sets of guests in and out. But regardless, we had a plan in place so that our, our cleaning and caretaking team just took over completely. They knew what to do. They were our ears and eyes and hands in our absence. And I was just super happy that we, we had that. So do you have a plan? Do you have a plan if something similar was to occur to you? And I, I was up at my sister's over the last few days and my sister has a, a beautiful place on a river in, in a lovely little town called Huntsville, about two and a half hours north of Toronto. And she runs a very successful um, Airbnb business out of an apartment in her basement. Now, that is, is not a fully self-contained apartment because there is an open staircase, you know, fr- from, the, from, from her living space to downstairs. So it's very much like a shared space, really, except that her guests have, you know, they, they have their bedroom, they have a big living room, sitting room, they have their bathroom, they have um, a little kitchenette all in the lower level. So, so they don't sort of come and, you know, spend time with my sister and her husband. People have, some, somebody has to be there to see their guests in. Um, she likes to be there to see the guests out. They have to be there to do changeovers. And they, they're doing a lot of business. She does a one-nighters. And there's a lot of call for, for one-night stays. So she's consistently doing changeovers and and as I say it's very successful and I said to her what well what would happen if the same thing you know if if either you or my brother-in-law got sick and you were doing what I was doing and running backwards and forwards to the hospital and and really not being that interested in changing bed sheets and cleaning toilets in your Airbnb apartment and she said you know I hadn't even thought of that she said, if anything like that happened, she said, I'd just have to cancel them all. So then I said, well, you know, if you did that, how would Airbnb react to that? Would they not expect you to have something in place? I mean, can I, mean, I don't know. I'm not an Airbnb expert. and Maybe somebody will come back and, and, and tell me this, you know, that Airbnb would be wholly sympathetic about this and say, it's OK if you just cancelled your next five bookings because you can't change the beds or clean the bathrooms because you're doing hospital visits. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how compassionate that they would be. Maybe somebody will let me know that. But I've got a feeling that um, they may be less compassionate than, than we would like. You know, it really is something to think about. All the, the, the what-ifs. And I, I'm not a great one for, for, for doing what-if this happens or what-if that happens, because I'm, I'm usually, a, you know, well, I am a very positive person. And doing what ifs means, you know, inviting negativity. However, in this business, I think we do have to do a bunch of what ifs and then put something in place to deal with those what ifs should they actually become reality. So let me give you some examples. What if your cleaner called at 10 o'clock in the morning to say she couldn't make it to do the changeover at 11 and there's another growing group going in at 4 p.m.? What would you do? You know what you'd do if that happened? Would you have somebody there to, to go in and take her place and do the cleaning? Or are you going to be really scrambling to find somebody to do it? What if you hear 
from a guest who claims that you have bed bugs in your property. Do you have a plan in place for that? Do you know the pest controller that you would call? Do you know what the, what the procedure is to manage the bedding, the mattresses, the guest's baggage? And do you have a, a tried and trusted procedure to check for bed bugs? I mean, are you, are you proactive in doing that checking and having, it, having all the recorded documentation available. We've had this one. <laughs> we, we know what happens if a guest calls and says, I think there's bed bugs in this property. And we have a procedure and a process and it went into place on that occasion so smoothly that within six hours of the call, it was completely resolved. Well, there is a podcast episode that I will put into the show notes that we did on uh, bedbugs a while back. And I interviewed one of the world's leading experts on bedbugs. So you might want to take a, take a listen to that because um, that gives a complete instruction, really, on how you should, how you should be proactive um, in terms of a potential bedbug infestation. And also what you need to do in the event of of one happening. Okay, another what if. What if a guest reports that all of the group who have stayed at your property with a hot tub have been to the doctor and claim they have hot tub folliculitis. And they're claiming it's from your hot tub. And you know that, that the water was changed and it was, the chemical balance was perfect when they went in. Do you know what you would do in that situation? What documentation do you have to prove that the tub has water change changes and treatments regularly? And what documents do you have to show that you have told your guests that they should stop using the hot tub in case of um, any foaming or um, odor from the water or any other concerns that they may have about about um, the hot tub water. Once again, this is something else that we've had on a number of occasions with guests having overused a hot tub, ignoring most of the uh, of the um, guidelines that we've given to them on hot tub use, and then claiming claiming money back because they have uh, they've they've got a rash and uh, and they've been to the doctor and the doctor has claimed that they have hot tub folliculitis. And we found that with all our procedures in place, we were able to very easily counter those claims. But if, you, if you're not proactive and you're simply reacting to a complaint after the event, then you've got an issue. What if you, you hear from your guests that your refrigerator has stopped cooling and it's a Sunday morning and it's in the middle of a heat wave? Do you know what you would do in that circumstance? Do you have something immediately in place? And I'll, I'll, you know, one of our uh, immediate responses is asking if they turned the refrigerator down when they arrived the previous evening. And that's often the case. You know, everybody arrives at a property, they've got a whole mass of warm food that they are going to put into the refrigerator. And then they think if they turn it to the coldest setting, then that's going to cool it quicker. When what actually happens is that it overworks the, um, the, the cooling elements, and which consequently freeze over and the whole thing stops working. There is only one resolution to it, 
and that's to empty everything out, defrost it, and once that defrosting takes place and you switch it on again, it usually works perfectly. But if you don't know that that's a remedy, and if you're not prepared for offering some sort of interim resolution, maybe coal boxes, you know, sending somebody up with coal boxes and ice and helping them to do this, then you are open to claims for refunds and rebates. Here's another one that we've had in the past. What if your neighbours call to say their child has been bitten by your guest's dog? And we were, we were pretty stumped with that one. We did not have a, anything in place to deal with that one. But what we have done over the years is for every single situation that has occurred, if we don't already have a standard operating procedure in place for it, then we create one. There's endless what-ifs, and I'm going to suggest in a moment that you do you do the what-if exercise because there, there really isn't much that you could imagine that couldn't at some point happen in your vacation rental or in one of your vacation rentals. And of course, if you're a property manager, you are going to have a lot of potential for all sorts of different things to, to arise. So what if I told you that a good emergency plan would put you in a much better place to deal with any eventuality, even the most outlandish ones. And these emergency plans or standard operating SOPs are the blueprints for dealing with anything that that comes up while you have guests. And I mean it. it, you open the folder, there's, well, I'm still dealing with paper folders. We still have paper folders with our SOPs. You could equally have them on a computer, open up the SOP for that problem and it will tell you who takes action, whether it's your personnel, whether it's um, a third party, whether it's somebody in the family, it will tell you what action is taken and the order in which it happens. It will tell you what you're going to tell your guests and it will have a list of contacts and it could be the contacts are like your pest controller. I mean, how many of you know exactly who to contact in case of a pest emergency, and it could be a bat in the attic, or ants, or mice, or chipmunks, or bedbugs, of course. Having a list of pest controllers, particularly those who have 24-hour contacts, or 20, that they work 24 hours a day, or will answer the phone, having that, that list is gold. It really is. It means that when a situation occurs, you're not fumbling about on Google looking for a local pest controller. And the same goes for a plumber, electrician, a handyman, an appliance repair person. These people you need to have in your back pocket. You need to make relationships with them. And I just want to tell you a story of some, something that happened in our early days of property management. And we learned a very, very good lesson from this. It was in, in the spring, but there'd been, and I yeah, I guess it must have been in the spring. It was a, it was a frozen pipe issue. And, and a guest called to say that there was water leaking, obviously, from a frozen pipe. And we thought, no problem, we'll just call out a local plumber. He'll go in and get that sorted out. We could not fi find a plumber who would go out to this property because they would only deal with their established clients, their established customers. And they were getting a lot of call-outs this, on this particular day or this particular weekend just because of that, you know, that um, combination of weather 
had caused a number of these things to happen in different homes. And we learned from one plumber who said, if you contact a plumber, they are going to prioritize their visits with their established customers first before they go to anybody that they believe is a one-off. So that was that was a really interesting lesson we learned. And since then, we wherever we have properties, and our properties are really located in very different areas. So we have just a bundle of lists of plumbers, electricians, and and people that we can contact in an emergency. And every one of them we have made a relationship with and we have become their clients. Now, in some places, we haven't even used them at all, but we've been able to refer them to other people, refer them to owners, and and we are way up on their priority list should we have an emergency. So that's just one tip. If you're new to an area, the first thing you do is make connections with service providers because those connections could be so valuable to you in the future. So I'm just going to go through a couple of things that you need to do in order to create your emergency plans and your standard, uh, create your standard operating procedures. Now, the first thing is the real fun thing. And you may have heard this from me before, because I've talked about it a lot. And that is you get together with your team. If you're a property management company, you get together with your team. If you're an independent owner and you just have one property or a couple of properties, get together with your families or with your, you know, your, your local team, your caretaker, your cleaner, your maintenance people. Get together for a coffee, for, for a coffee and donuts and sit down and brainstorm the worst things that could happen that might impact your guests. When I mean brain, when I say brainstorm, I mean just 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 go for the the complete brainstorming experience and go for the most out. It doesn't matter if it's outlandish, because it's an amazing amazing how some of these outlandish things actually happen. But it could be anything from a minor power outage to extreme weather, bringing down trees and preventing the guests leaving the property. We had a um, an example. Uh, two years ago of a tree, a branch of a tree that came off in a windstorm and landed on both guests' cars in the driveway. That was an interesting one because that brought in, I mean, the first person that we brought in, I mean, this was from our standard operating procedure and we have one for broken, for, for falling trees, was an arborist. We have a series of, or a number of arborists in our area that we have relationships with. And we had an arborist go in and see if this, um, if the tree had been rotten prior to this branch falling off it, because we knew that was going to be the first issue for the insurance company. Um, but we, we actually had something in place. We had a plan in place as to, um, to what, what we would do if a tree fell on a car. Now, we were very fortunate that um, the guests had just unloaded one of these cars. with uh, They'd unloaded groceries from one of their cars about three minutes prior to this uh, branch falling down. Um, that could have been an entirely different situation. Um, however, we had brainstormed that as well. We, brainst- we've, we have brainstormed things happening on the property that cause injuries um, to guests and what we would do under that circumstance. 
So your your um, brainstorming could could encompass things like tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, wildfires. Those those big things that we know are out there in different parts of the uh, of the country, and and that can certainly impact your guests. But also some of the minor things like somebody complaining about a lot of spiders inside the property or what happens if a guest encounters this is this is one you might not like but we do have on some of our lakes leeches in the water um particularly where in areas where there are lily pads out out in um, out on a lake children in particular go out into these areas where the, where there's lily pads um they can come out with leeches attached to their limbs which is really horrible you know we we know the immediate response to to dealing with uh, with leeches so a sort of a first aid thing if somebody calls and says my kid's got a leech on their leg so we know exactly what to tell them to do and uh, to 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 remove it and and then to stay out of the, the lily pad area and stay out in clear water that's that's actually the um, the way to uh, avoid the potential of leeches that, that was included in our brainstorming when we did this um, and it happens just about every time we do the brainstorming somebody says there's a sudden outbreak of a deadly virus and the owners have decided that they in, in the city and the owners have decided that they want to take refuge in their property and there are currently guests in there who don't want to leave because of the deadly virus in the city so you know, your brainstorming can include even include things like that. And you know, back in, I can't remember what year it was, the year of SARS. If you remember the SARS virus that impacted Toronto in particular, people were doing that. People were wanting to get out of the city and get into their country homes to get away from the potential of contracting the SARS virus. So that's not so far-fetched or outlandish. But yeah, you sit there and make this list. After you've done that brainstorming, you can filter through the list and make your priorities. You know, let's let's come up with the ones that are most likely to happen and then work down through. And for each one of them, you make a standard operating procedure. Now, that includes the three things. Who will take action? So is it if if it's if it's a if you're a property management company, then you decide, you know, who takes the action? Is is it is it the the principal? Is it the customer relations um, department? Is it uh, other reservationists? Can can the person who takes the call do something? So it uh, in that in that SOP, it defines who's going to take the first course of action, and then. Second thing is, what action are they going to take? Now, there could be a couple of steps here, but in general, it's the first thing is who, who's going to take the action, what that action is going to be. So, in terms, let's say it's a bed bug um, report. So, really, it may be the person who takes the call who can take the action, and the first action is to call the pest control company and say, We've had a report of bed bugs, we need somebody out there immediately to establish if this is in fact the case or not because you know in most most cases bed bug reports are not bed bugs you know it might be sand flies or it might be some other little bugs 
um, that have caused somebody to have some bites and their immediate claim is bed bugs. So you want to get that out of the way immediately, but you have to get an expert out there to tell the people exactly what it is. Um, and then the third part is what are you going to tell the guests to do? Now, in some cases, it could be you just sit tight and wait for somebody. Um, if it, let, let, let's stick with the bed bug example. What are you going to tell guests to do? They should not take anything out of the room um, where they have encountered the bed bugs. You know, do not remove your belongings out of that room. Everything should stay in there because if you take anything out, it's the, there's the potential of moving them from one room to another. So you, and also for, for things like this, like bed bugs, you'd probably want to get advice from a pest controller and they will give you, they will tell you what you should tell your guests to do as well. And then in your SOP for that particular uh, issue, you'll also have your list of contacts. You'll have the pest controller's um, name and number and probably have two or three of them so that you've got second string. If your first one is not able to go out, then you've got somebody else to go to. So, you know, you're, if, if it was a problem with plumbing, then you're going to have a list of plumbers. If it's things that need to be fixed, then you're going to have your handyman list. If it's appliances that are broken down, you'll, on your contact list, you'll have appliance repair people. So, so that's it. That's you, you brainstorm the potential issues, and then you create your standard operating procedures. You could have dozens of them. You could have a hundred of them. But can you imagine how much easier it's going to be if somebody, particularly if you've got new staff, somebody calls and says they have an issue. And the first thing they do, if, they ha if they're stumped as to what, how to answer, they can go to these standard operating procedures and it's all going to be laid out for them in, in very clear terms as to who's going to take action, what action they're going to take and what the guests are going to be told to do along with the contacts. That to me is a, is a real no-brainer and, it, and it, it should be in place regardless of whether you have a single property or whether you have 200 because at some point, some issue is going to arise. I'm just stepping down gently off my soapbox now, and I'm going to give you another half dozen things that we do that help in the emergency planning process. So another thing to do is to make lists of the things that you would need in a property for any period of time if your guests are going to be stuck there. Now, maybe, you know, if, if, you've, got, if you've got a condo in Gulf Shores, this may, may not be relevant to you. But for, for our places, some of which are quite rural, if we have storms, then uh, it, a, there is the potential for roads to be blocked and, you know, a tree to fall in a road uh, or a snowfall that stops people getting out. We have emergency kits that are in our properties. We put, the, put those together because we made lists of things that people would need for 24 hours, for 48 hours, and for up to a week. I mean, it's never happened that somebody's been stuck for up to a week. And I think if, if that was the case, you know, it's more likely to be winter 
um, because of a snowfall, and we might sort of look at getting people out a different way with uh, with snowmobiles, etc. However, we do have emergency emergency packs that people are can only open in the case of an emergency. And usually if they let us know (laughs) that they have an emergency and we can say, okay, this is where the emergency pack is and this is where you're going to find things like bottled water, powdered milk, additional toilet paper, means of of lighting, a crank radio perhaps, flashlights with batteries and the batteries are stored separately from the flashlights. I mean, we, we normally have fresh packs of batteries that go into our, what we call it, our power outage kit um, every uh, every quarter. And we just check, if they haven't been used, then they're fine. But if, if they've gone into the flashlight, then we will change them out and put another set of new batteries in there. So we don't have a problem with leaking batteries. We put um, in in there for a longer period of time. We haven't haven't done this so much recently but certainly a couple of years ago when when we had really bad winters and I did get concerned about people staying down at my you know my cottage which was four kilometers down a road that was not plowed as often as I would have liked it to and we had a little box with with some canned food in it some packets of rice pasta packet soups that sort of thing um which was available if they if they you know if they're there for a few days and couldn't get out to the store at least they wouldn't um, they wouldn't go hungry. But it's a fairly inexpensive way of of ensuring your guests are comfortable in any period of extended occupancy that they're not quite expecting. The, the power outage kit is something that I've been advocating for a long, long time. And I, I we say it's we call it a power outage kit, but it could be for, you know for any period of time that your guests may be in a property without power without heating, light, etc. We also include a guest emergency guide. And that includes instructions for using any gas-powered items that we have at the property, such as lamps, cooking equipment. Tell them what it's going to be like without power or without significant power. Now, a number of our properties now have generators, automatic generators, but it doesn't power up everything. So we make absolutely sure they know what services they can expect in the event of an extended power outage. So they know that they're not going to have TV and they're unlikely to have Wi-Fi, but they will have, you know, the fridge will work. The There are certain lights that will work. And more importantly, the toilets will flush because the majority of our properties are on septic systems and have um, they have water pumps that... Um, are electric. So the only way to get water from the toilet bowl into the septic system is via an electric pump. And of course, if the power's out, nothing's flushing. It's just instructions that, that let them know what to expect, because that's the most important thing, that, that they're not sort of left in the dark um, figuratively as well as actually. They know what they can do, what they can't do, and what they can expect us to do. So we create a what to do in emergency, what to do in an emergency document. And that's placed, a copy of that is placed in our welcome book. And it's also posted on the inside of one of the storage cupboards where we keep some of this emergency equipment so that they know exactly um, when they've looked around the property, when they go there, 
They're going to see where this emergency stuff is and they're going to see this notice just inside the door that says what to do in an emergency. So they know where it is. And there's also, most importantly, one of those battery stick-on lights in that cupboard. Because somebody mentioned to me once a long time ago, well, this is great that you have all this stuff, but what, how do people find it when, it's, when it goes dark? Well, we employ quite a, quite a number of these emergency lights. And certainly one of those in that uh, in that cupboard. Coming back to emergency management in terms of power outages, um, and particularly in the winter, you think about how the power property is going to be heated if the power is out. So if there's a wood stove, you make sure there's sufficient wood, um, and keep an area separate where you store emergency wood bundles. But of course, if your property runs entirely on electricity. That's something else you must consider uh, in your emergency planning with an extended power outage, particularly when it's going to be cooler at night. So another part of your emergency plan should be a cancellation, curtailment, refund, rebate policy. So you don't get into any arguments with guests who who, who are demanding refunds for particular situations. Now, you can put this into, into your um, standard operating procedures. It could be just a little bit extra at the end to say, you know, maybe label it refund stroke re- rebate policy and consider for everything that, that you create a, an SOP for, consider what your policy might be on refunding or rebating your your guests' um, rental, because they will be asking, you know, for, for the spider in the shower, to the water snake in the water, to the bed bugs, to whatever might occur, it's going to be the subject of a refund argument. But you don't have to have an argument if you have a policy in place and you simply let them know that this is a policy before they even ask. Once again, consider, if, if it's power outage, you just consider several different scenarios. You know, a power outage in the summer is going to bring with it different impact than in the winter. A generator is going to have better impact on your guests than not having a generator. Loss of refrigeration in hot climates compared to loss of air conditioning. You know, have, have, a, have a think about where your property is and what a loss of these services might mean in terms of potential for rebate. You know, if if the air conditioning goes out for two hours, is that going to be rebatable? Is the potential of losing refrigeration for several days going to be rebatable? It probably is. And then when you have all these plans in place, you want to share these with everyone who's involved with the property. So including your caretakers, your cleaners, your maintenance people, everybody knows what these plans are because in a scenario where you're not available to deal with a problem there should always be a secondary contact who's aware of your planned procedures so you know going back to my situation that we had recently I mean fortunately the 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 winter at the end of February was just about over here in Ontario. We didn't have any snow event. However, my caretakers knew exactly what to do in the event of um, a snowstorm occurring and our guests not being able to get out or not being able to get in. Um, They knew of 
all our standard operating procedures, what we had in place. So they knew what their role was um, under those circumstances. So I, I think I said a few minutes ago I'd got off my soapbox, but I think I've gone there again. I find all this, this, this stuff really fascinating because it works, because I, I just love the way it works. When somebody will calls us during the summer and has a problem, then, we, we, you know, our staff immediately into these, into these standard operating procedures going, okay, there must be something here that's going to deal with it. And if there isn't, by the end of the week, there is. There is another SOP. I'd love to hear from anybody who does the same thing. You know, do you have this great sheaf of, of SOPs that you refer to uh, in the case of any emergency that might occur? Because I have to tell you, it is the one of the best things that we have ever done in our business. And no, as I found out when I delivered that workshop at VRSS back in 2016, it's not the sexiest topic. It's not the one that everybody wants to know about. But my goodness, it's the most, it's one of the most useful. And, and it certainly served us in good stead. So I hope it will you as well. I hope you found that helpful. Um, it was very, it was just interesting that I think this is probably the first time that I've had to put uh, one of our standard operating procedures in place due to a, you know, my own issue, you know, something that's, that's happened to me and my family that prevented us from doing the great job that we want to with our guests. And I was just so happy that it just went off so smoothly and so seamlessly that my guests had no clue that that person was not the owner. It was, it was done professionally and competently and any queries they had were responded to so well that I, I was just really, really happy that what we'd put in place really, really worked. So my session at VRSS this year in San Antonio in May is not on emergency management. Uh, it's on something entirely different. I'm not giving that away just yet. I'm still working on the title, but it's... Uh, it's guaranteed to attract a few more people than I got for emergency management. Um, so, uh, so hopefully if you're coming to Vacation Rental Success Summit, you'll go to the website at um, vacationrentalsuccesssummit.com and in a few weeks you'll be able to check out what my session is actually going to be about. I'm not doing a keynote presentation this year. We've got some amazing keynote speakers and uh, I have stepped aside to let far better speakers go in my place. But I am doing um, a workshop in the owner track. So I hope that I'm going to see many of you there. Just going back on the subject of emergency management, I have, uh, if, if you go to the show notes, you can download a couple of, a couple of forms that I put together last, uh, for, for, for that um, that. Um, session I did in 2016. Um, so I had some handouts and you can go to to the show notes and click on those downloads and pick them up. We also have a full course in emergency management and it goes through all the things I've been talking about on this podcast, but it has a very practical element to it. So I talk you through the brainstorming process, how to develop standard operating procedures, how to how to select um, who you're going to get to do what and the sorts of things that they should do. 
So I take it, I take you through the process step by step for a couple of issues. And that's available on at uh, the Vacation Rental Formula. Now, I know that um, that many of you listening are already members of the Vacation Rental Formula and you are able to access that course. If you've got any questions about it, you know, please let me know. And if you are interested in joining VRF and joining the Formula Club and becoming a part of that community and getting access to the current courses that are in there and the courses that are coming up when we relaunch. We will be relaunching uh, just after the Vacation Rental Success Summit and you'll be able to join at that time, at which point um, we will have revamped the website, we will have several new courses available and and we will be back to doing weekly um, question answer sessions and um, monthly webinars. So if you're interested in joining that, you want some information when that reopens, because we're only reopening it for about two weeks, just uh, just let me know. Drop me an email at heather at cottageblogger.com and I'll make sure that we do let you know when that, um, that membership reopens, because we'd love to see you in there. Um, that's just about it for me for today. As ever, as I keep saying, if you're on the fence about coming to Vacation Rental Success Summit and you're interested in, in, in coming, you'd like to hear some more about it, let me know. Um, contact me directly, as many of you have been contacting me recently for my special discount code. And you can email me at heather at cottageblogger.com. You will receive a personal reply from me. And uh, and I will be giving you that discount code. And of course, um, making sure that when you come to Vacation Rental Success Summit, that um, that you look me up and and, you know, we have a chat about your places, place um, and any particular issues that you have. So just just something I wanted to say about going to a conference, because I went to con- I've been to conferences, many conferences over the years. And and sometimes, you know, I, I, I look up to the speakers and it's just like, you know, that they're, they're, they're those people that stand on the stage or stand in front and they're almost, um, it's almost like thinking they're a breed apart. And I, I don't know why I do that because I know from my own experience when I'm a speaker, there's nothing I like more than to meet people and to talk to people who've, who've, who are in the audience you know, I want people to stop me in the corridors and on the coffee break and at the bar in the evening and come up and say hello. Um, I really am ever so approachable, as are all the speakers. So, you know, if, you've, if you're coming along to VRSS and you don't know anybody and you're a little bit concerned about that, I just wanted to tell you that this has got to be the most friendly conference that... I have ever been to out of the myriad conferences um, I've attended. You know, people are so willing to share their knowledge, to share their ideas, to hear about you and and learn about your places and and actually learn from you as well because every single person in this industry has something to share that's going to be valuable to somebody else. So if you're coming to VRSS, if you're thinking about coming um, you know, I, I I really do want to meet you and I'm probably going to do um, some sort of get together for podcast listeners um, so that we can sit down perhaps and we can, have, we can have a little brainstorm of our own to find out from you what you like, 
what you don't like so much and what you'd like to see me doing in the future. So uh, let's do that thing. So once again, and as ever, I am delighted to have been with you here with you today and look forward to being with you again next week. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.